Hey y'all, Pastor Emil here with another episode of Sweet Jesus. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Ice cream is sweet. Jesus is sweeter. Why is Jesus so sweet? Because Jesus means God likes bodies. God likes humans. He he likes this earth and and all kinds of things in it. And I am here with Chris, Naomi, and uh, Gary's spirit. <laughs> Until Gary, Gary arrives, in, he's gonna flashed as he comes. He's you know? probably gonna come in in a few minutes because uh, you guys got me talking, so mm-hmm. that gave him plenty of time. He'll probably be here very shortly, and uh, we're here going through theology of the body. Last time we did kind of an overview, just uh, what are some of the terms that we're gonna be looking at: original man, historical man, and eschatological, eschatological man. You have to think about it before you say it every time. Uh, today we're going to dig into original man, mm-hmm. sort of who God originally intended us to be. Right. Uh, there are some key points about that. Uh, we'll we'll talk about those, and and we can probably talk even more beyond just those points, or or maybe those points are going to bring that out. Um, but uh, who wants to? Take a stab at it first, uh, should Naomi I, or or Chris okay, or we yeah. we know Chris doesn't <clears throat> have a problem talking. I'll, I'll he, jump at, I'll jump at the beginning and then y'all can <laughs> unpack it. So so again, just a just a little bit of a the uh, a recap very briefly is you know what this all is um, is you know, John Paul II um, giving a catechesis about human love as it's revealed in scriptures and mm-hmm. his own understanding of it. So he's he. Um, He's giving these, he's applying sort of technical terms to explain things that he finds in the narrative of the first chapters of the Bible, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, the creation of man, uh, the man, the fall of man, the promise of salvation of man. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that, that's, those are the three kind of categories. Like man is described in the Bible um, in his original state prior to sin when God created Adam and Eve in the beginning um, and describe the Bible describes how they lived and what it was like to be human in that state. Mm. And then the Bible describes the fall of man and man's, um, and now you have the kind of the rest of the Bible, the story of, um, of all of the mess that comes from, um, man who remains in relationship with God, but is also at the same time, affected by sin, moved by sin, all of the mess of history. That's historical man. And then um, the promise that was given right from the beginning and is fulfilled in Christ, man who's redeemed, man who um, who lives at the, the eschatological state, which is <laughs> which is a fancy word for meaning the end time or what happened. The eschaton, the, the end. Eschaton, yeah. The eschaton, the end, right? The, when, when, you know, Christ finally conquers sin and death definitively across all boards, which he, which he does through his death and resurrection. And at the end of time when he comes again and raises us all up. Right. And so uh, what will be, what what is man in the state of the, of perfection? So that's eschatological man. So today we're, we're going to explore um, what he talks about with respect to original man. So this is man in the original state prior to sin and what are the prior and goes in quotes, right? You know, like, mm-hmm. um, you know, what was it like to be human um, without, you know, before the fall? Right. Yeah. Um, 
And so the scriptures kind of tell us a couple of interesting things. Like, um, like for example, Adam, Adam was created, um, out of the dust of the ground and he was placed in the garden and Adam was alone. He was alone. Right. And God brings him all of the animals and he names the animals and, um, and no, no animal proves to be a suitable partner for him. So that that's one element of what the scriptures tell us about the nature of man is, is that he's, he, his, he's alone in the world. In a certain sense, we all have that experience, right? I mean, we live in community with all kinds of other people, but you know, there's a, there's a life that we live interiorly where we're mm. just kind of alone with God. Like nobody knows what's really okay. what I'm thinking. Nobody really knows what I'm feeling unless I reveal it through my words. But there's a sort of um, a human experience where like down at the bottom, I'm, I'm alone with God in this world, right? And that's part of our human experience. And that has always been our experience from the beginning. And that expresses kind of God's desire to have an intimate personal Personal, relationship with each individual person as an individual. Like Mm. the first and fundamental relationship that we were called into by our creation is our relationship with God. That's the first and fundamental reality. And no matter how much we enter into relationship with others, that relationship is always first. It's always prior. It's always the fundamental relationship that we have. And so, so John Paul II coins a phrase to say, this is original solitude. This is an element of what it means to be human is that there's an element of us that we're alone with God and that was willed by God from the beginning. And it's not a, it's not a, a matter of sin. It's a matter of what God intended when he made us. There's a, there's a lot that I've come across lately. It's not Lutheran. You know, I'm not hearing it from necessarily Lutheran theologians. Not that that makes it wrong. I'm just, <clears throat> maybe we've got something and I missed it. But but this idea that th- this relationship, us and God, and this personal communion with him is at the heart of what we need. And it's at the heart of what's actually wrong, right? right. So So when we look at all these problems in the world are our, our sin and and the things that sin causes and death and brokenness yeah. and, in in all kinds of ways and all kinds of areas the thing that causes that is really this yeah the original solitude that we desperately need yeah we don't embrace we don't, it and right? we don't yeah you know there's a there there's also a sense like it's this this very mysterious there's no sin in the world but God says, right, it's not good for him to be alone. It's kind of interesting. There's a not good, right, um, there. And that's and that well, not. And but, that's where, like, when you're talking about solitude, I'm going, wait a sec. But no, this that's not the end of the story. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, that's like, not the whole story. It's just one <laughs> element. It's one element. But, you know, if when you, we, you know, um, John Paul II, well, he talks about this experience of the original man. Um, as a boundary, it's something we don't have access to in our experience directly because our lived experience is always tempered by our experience of sin, right? Yeah, so historical, that's what that's, we know. That's where we are. That's what we know. And so we don't know what it's like to be without sin. Like we just don't know what that's like. That's not part of our lived experience, but we can have a sense of what's wrong and kind of 
look back from how things ought to be and get a, get a sense of that. And the scriptures reveal, reveal to us a lot. Um, but, you know, in the, in the historical man, like almost the whole Bible, the, the most fundamental, the, the most fundamental sin that we, we commit is idolatry is, is trying to fill up that solitude with something else that will mm-hmm. satisfy us, whether it's a God that we can control, a God that we can create, money, wealth, power, whatever. It's all we, it always goes back to idolatry. Like every sin eventually yeah. goes yep. back to idolatry, right? And the first commandment, I am your God, you will have no other gods. And so God, so part of the Christian life has to remain in the solitude with God. I mean, that's always been part of the Christian tradition, that prayer and like a deep abiding intimate prayer with with god is the first and foremost duty that we have and if that's not in place and we're trying to excuse ourselves from the duty of growing in our prayer life by filling ourselves up with good works or um or anything else it's still going to become unfulfilling to us right and that's so it's not even so it is a duty yes but it's actually what will do for us what we're looking for yeah. and all these other things. Um, yeah. I'm sure you guys know St. Augustine. Yep. Right. He's got this disordered loves idea, mm-hmm. you know, so like mm-hmm. you can actually have things that you're trying to put in that original solitude relationship. Yeah. That thing that you're raising up as a God that are yeah. good. And yeah. So like you could have family, right? Uh, you can have work, a job, yep. you can have church, good works, yeah. and you can elevate that mm-hmm. above. I mean, you try, I mean, how much of our life we're trying to fill up our isolation? Yeah. Like what happens when you ask somebody to spend one hour in prayer, <laughs> right? I mean, Ten it's minutes. like, tick, like tick, you go tick, insane. Tick, 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 tick. Yeah. It's like you go, there's a, there's a, can tell story about um, St. Bernard of Clairvaux. He was a, he was a monk. Um, and he, he was, a he was this guy that lived, um, and he taught about prayer and he taught a lot about prayer and he became a very popular itinerant speaker. He like traveled around and pre- preached. It was kind of interesting. He preached a lot about isolation and prayer and, you know, um, and so there's a story, it's an anecdotal story. Um, I don't know if it's true, but if it's true, it should be, if it's not, it should be right. Um, <laughs> is that somebody had given him this horse with a really nice saddle for his travel to the next town because he had to go over a mountain. So he's riding on this nice horse on a nice saddle going over the mountain to the next town. And there's this like poor, there's like poor farmer with a, with a beat up old horse and a cart and the wheel had broken. And he's like grumbling, you know, on the side of the road. And, you know, here comes this monk on this horse. right? <laughs> and, and the, the farmer starts grumbling like, oh, you know, that's what it's like to be one of those religious people. You know, you <laughs> ride around on wealthy horses and you don't have to actually work for a living, you know, this kind of stuff. And, um, and, uh, and Bernard of Clairvaux stops and says, well, look, if you can say one, our father without distraction, I'll, maybe it's harder than you think. First of all, he says like <laughs> prayer is probably, it might be harder than you think, right? Living a life of prayer. And he says, if you say one, our father without distraction, I'll give you this horse. And the farmer says, well, that's easy. He says, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Do I get the saddle too? (laughs) 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 Right? It's like, that's it, right? You know, it's like, as soon as you try, you're like immediately distracted, (laughs) you know? Um, 
Um, but, but, you know, that's where we find our true selves in a certain way, in a way by, by interacting with God in our intimate life of prayer, we're, we're participating in something that's original in us, something that's, that survives the fall, something yeah. that's like fundamentally good about us, you know? You, um, got, you guys talked about, um, St. Augustine and you're talking about the solid, original solitude. It made me think of that famous quote. It's my favorite quote from him. He says, um, God, you made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest, rest in, in you. you yeah. yeah. So it's like, you know, yeah. we're made, we have that echo still in our hearts that we were created for communion, you yeah. know, and even though, like you said, we have that, um, you know, in our, his, being a historical man, you know, we're like, we're living in the time that we're in now, which is after the fall and after we've lost that original solid, um, you know, the perfection of that original yeah. solitude. So we don't have that, that um, 100% total union with God that we were made for. So we feel the ache in our heart, and that's the, I think that's, that's a restless that heart. Echo. That's right. Yeah. The, the that's restless right. heart is the echo. Yeah. So we, it's, it's kind of in the historical context, in our context, our solitude is something is, a, is kind of, can be experienced as kind of a burden for us. Like it's like a yearning for, for God, like, a, like everything fails to satisfy. And, mm-hmm. and then I try to, I try to satisfy my, my desires in, whether it's whether I and I can I can do that in a you know you know like try to drink or debauchery or whatever or I could like say look I'm not I know those things don't really satisfy I'm gonna really pour myself into you know worthwhile valuable work and whatever but even that even then it's not enough right because our hearts will can't be satisfied by anything other than the ultimate good we have that God-shaped hole yeah only be filled uh, by God C.S. Lewis talks about this in a couple of ways. I'm trying to figure out if I can remember it in a way that <clears throat> does justice to it, but it's it's something like if our hearts can't be satisfied by anything here, then then we must be made for another world. Yeah. That's yes, one I've thing. Yeah. That one. And then he has this thing <clears throat> where he talks about, you know, and I, I'm not talking about, you know, the bad things uh, or the disappointments in life. I'm talking about the very best marriages and, careers and and all these other things that ultimately fail to deliver what we're hoping yeah and and i don't think he said this but there's this idea that even if you have like this moment where like everything's right it's almost immediately spoiled by the fact that you know it can't last Last. (laughs) that's right (laughs) so like so you know it's going to end one and you can't do anything about that. Yeah. Like you, there's a, I mean, and we hear that, we hear that all the time, right? There's a song on the, there was a song on the radio. It was a Brad Paisley song, very popular about, um, it was about, how did it go? It was, it was about, you know, what's a bummer is that this summer with you is going to end. Right. So like, it's like the song they're at the beach and he's with the girl and like, everything's perfect. And already he's lamenting, that it's about to end, right? Mm-hmm. It's a sad song because everything's perfect, right? You know, <laughs> yeah. or or there's another one that he there's another one that's he has the same theme in another song where you know there's like a bunch of guys sitting around a campfire and the and the one guy says, "Man, it can't get any better than this," and he says, "Well, actually, it could. Like a busload of women showed up, it would be really, you know, <laughs> it could get better, right? You know, so there's always this like yearning for something more, and that's something that's part of our spiritual heritage. That's right. part of our mm-hmm. We are mm-hmm. sons and daughters of God Himself, and and so and that 
that belonging to God and that yearning for God is something that God put in us right from the beginning, and and no amount of sin or degradation or whatever can erase that reality. That's always part of an element of what it means to be human, mm-hmm. and uh, and so so that's that's one element there, right? And that's what the whole story is like. The Bible is telling us what it means to be human, and it's revealing different elements of that. That's one. Um, the second one is um, is original unity, where you know it's not good that man should be alone. And you know, I always really I really like this because oftentimes we read the Bible and we tend to think about it as if God didn't know what He was doing, like you know, here's Adam and then he makes a person and the person starts to cry right? mm. and he starts giving him good things. Right. You know, like, a, I don't know what makes him stop crying. Give him a bottle, right. <laughs> give him a, give him a dog, give him a puppy, give him a, you know, he's like giving him all these different things and he doesn't know what to do because, because Adam's desires aren't enough. And then he's like, Oh, let's make a girl or something. You know, that's like the wrong way to think about it. Right. Mm. God knows exactly what he's doing. And this like, it's not good for man to be alone is something that Adam discovers, right? He's in the world. He's surrounded by every possible good thing. Adam is the wealthiest man ever to walk the earth because he literally owned everything, right? Mm. All the land, all the trees, all the gold, all the silver, (laughs) all everything, right? There was, he, he owned the whole thing, right? God was, he's surrounded by every possible good thing. And it's not enough, right? It's not mm. sufficient. It, these things don't have context. They don't have a purpose. The, the, the painting of the Sistine Chapel with, with Adam kind of lounging in his hand, pointing up, and God like trying to reach him, you know, that very mm-hmm. famous painting. Mm-hmm. You know, there's this kind of, he's surrounded by every good thing. He's healthy. He's got, there, there, he lacks absolutely nothing, and he's kind of bored. He doesn't know what to do, right? It's something that Adam discovers, right? And what John Paul II says is like God puts Adam through a pedagogy. A pedagogy is a step-by-step lesson, right? Right. You, you have to learn to do addition before you learn multiplication, before you do division, before you do algebra, right? And so by bringing step-by-step, animal-by-animal, introducing Adam to each good thing in the world and having Adam understand what it is, when he gives it a name, he understands what it is. Um, he's teaching Adam that, yeah, the, I'm providing you with every good thing, but there's something else that you yearn for. And so Adam's the one who kind of discovers that the world isn't enough and it's not good for him to just be alone because he's made for something else. And at that point, Adam is prepared. His heart is prepared to receive the gift that the woman is for him. Right? So, he puts him to sleep, takes out the rib, fashions it into the woman, and Adam says, this at last is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Like this at last, this person makes the world make sense. I, mean, I now make sense. Mm. I now understand what I'm supposed to do. I understand what flowers are for. I know what <laughs> I know what animals are for. I know sofas. What, like, so, right, you know, like oh, oh, well, that's right? historical, that's like, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, it's one thing to just have all these things, but you know, so what? But now that these things can be made a gift, right? These things can be he, it, that 
these things have a purpose or a goal. They, they facilitate something, this union between him and her. Now he, he sees her as an equal. He sees her as having the same nature as him, the same flesh, but also different from him. Um, and all of a sudden the world makes sense. And that's kind of a really interesting experience. Like when we fall in love with someone like a genuine love, all of a sudden, not only do I realize who she is and what she is and her value and her beauty, but I also kind of now, Oh, that's what I've always longed for. Right. <clears throat> oh, now I make sense of myself. And so at the beginning, when Adam wakes up and he says, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, right? This at last, there's this unity between them. Uh, John Paul II calls this original unity that between man and woman, there's no division. There's no, um, you know, when Adam looks at Eve, he doesn't look at her with lust. He doesn't, he, do, he sees her as a person, right? He sees her as a partner, as somebody who, um, or orients his activity, um, and makes sense of himself. And so between Adam and Eve, there's no use going on. There's no desire to use each other. Um, Adam loves Eve for Eve's sake and Eve loves Adam for Adam's sake. And they're not like in a power struggle or anything like that, any kind of competition, anything like that. Like there's a, there's a correspondence in their bodies, in their minds, in their souls, one to the other. So they have different bodies, they have different minds, they have different spirits, but there's a correspondence between them that they they see and understand and it makes sense to them. And um, there's no danger or there's no use or competition. And that's expressed biblically by the fact that they were naked. So there's this mysterious passage that says, they were naked, but they had no shame, mm-hmm. right? And um, and so, you know, what's this original nakedness? That's the third one, right? That they experience their nakedness, but there's no shame. And and that, you know, we, can, we talked a little bit about shame last time. We might talk a little bit about it again. I think it's a theme that we'll return to, but there's no, there's no reason for one to hide themselves from the other. There's no reason for them to, um, to cover their weaknesses before each other. There's uh, no, no reason to not be exposed body, soul, you know, the body reveals the person. And so when Adam sees her, he sees her body. He sees the sexual value of her body. He's attracted. He's, she's the most beautiful girl in the world. Right? <laughs> you know? That's how they got the word woman. And, Whoa, man. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. Right. She's the most beautiful woman. And he sees her as a, a sexual value, but it's in the context of her as a person. He doesn't lust after her. He doesn't, he doesn't want to consume her, you know, anything like that. And so this mystery of being able to be intimately available to one another Mm. um, is, is what this nakedness is, is kind of pointing out to. Um, And it's connected to, it's, it's a way that the biblical language, this is the way that the biblical language um, talks about or tries to reveal the intimacy of the union between Adam and Eve and the man and the woman. Right. And that's part of their, um, that's part of their original state. I mean, it's interesting when you switch into sin, right? 
the first thing that they do is cover themselves, cover themselves up, up. Yeah. Right. Cause you know, now all of a sudden there's this need, which we can talk about later in the historical sense, but it's enough to just point to when sin occurs and the breakdown of these relationships occur and the breakdown of intimacy between God and man, the, the you know, God, man used to walk in the garden with God mm. in the cool of the day. And now he he's hides. hiding, he's yeah. hiding from God. They're hiding from each other. Right. These things are effects of the breakdown of intimate relationship with one another that's expressed in and through their bodies. Um, and so, so they're, they're in the state of nakedness. And once we see the, the desire to hide in the historical state, it helps us to see what it must have been like to be naked and have no shame, like to be in each other's presence with perfect confidence in one another and perfect trust in one another without um, any need to see each other um, in a truncated kind of way or for mm. just their sexual value or just what good they will do for me or something like that. Oh, and if I just wanted to jump in mm -hmm. there, because I remember the first time that I learned that, what struck me was when Adam and Eve were looking at each other they looked at each other with true love, but they knew that Eve was not the end for Adam yeah. and vice versa. Eve saw the same way as Adam because they could see as they're, you know, looking at each other's eyes that God is the ultimate. Yeah. That, that he is the ultimate end. So even though their love is real and full and this beautiful, I don't know if balanced is the right yeah. word thing, they both knew that, you know, it's, it's God. Ultimately, mm. God is the only one who satisfies us and whom we are made for and, yeah. and right, his delight. It's, so Eve which, has a role, but it's not the role of God. It's not it's the role right. of Eve. Yeah. What yeah, what Adam what Adam can see in Eve is that she's also has this solitude, right? Okay. Do you yeah. see what I'm saying? Like she also mm -hmm. remains herself. She's not absorbed into him or find her identity complete in him. She also is carrying on this intimate relationship with God. And so when mm -hmm. they communicate mm -hmm. with each other, like he's able to see that she has an interior life. Uh, an intimate life right. with God. Apart and when, from, and when yeah, he yeah. sees her, she, she can recognize that he also belongs to God. And that makes them different than all of the other animals. This is very egalitarian. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> it, it doesn't sound like the caricature of Christianity. Yeah, no. That, that's out there, you know, where, you know, if you believe in God and the Bible and, and all this other kind of stuff, then you must mean that women are in, supposed to be inferior oppressed or, or inferior. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I've heard people talk about like, if you reference the order of creation, they'll say, well, oh, mm -hmm. so Adam, Adam's first. So he's, he gets everything. And Eve said, no, 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 no. Like, no. The, like there's a structure to it. It's not first yeah. and second. It's, there's a way that it all works together. Yeah. So they, right. And together they yeah. really are man. Right. That's right. So yes. right. See, when you like, go back to the first chapter, God creates man, male and female. He created them. Yeah. Right? When yeah. God, 
Adam, the, the creation of man isn't complete until, until they're, Eve. they're together. Yeah. Until Eve is so, yeah. But, but one thing I wanted to kind of stress on that, I think especially for, for women, we, we can, can often, our, I think our temptation or where our weakness really gets, gets the, the, gets us bad is the man, the relationship, the marriage does become the end of our, what quote unquote could be our, our happiness, Mm -hmm. our fulfillment. Yeah. So that's kind of one of the things that happens when original sin comes and that, that gaze that, you know, Adam and Eve could have with one another and seeing God is really the one who fulfills me. It's not you. I, I love you and I will give, yeah. I will self give myself to you yeah, and right. receive you as well. Uh, that's what we've lost. And it's, I know as a woman, I personally, <laughs> personally um, struggle with that each and every day. Um, it's, it's a constant battle to remember I got to trust the Lord and I got to, it's like my brain is almost, um, that's the record that's on <laughs> and I have you need to, to get able, married you need to get right, right, <laughs> and yeah. that's your fulfillment. And yeah. unfortunately our, our society and our culture, whether it's in our movies or in our songs, yeah. which they're beautiful, but they kind of really also, um, kind of put that out there that yeah. that is going to be mm-hmm. your ultimate good your ultimate uh, knight in shining armor and right and everything is gonna it, fall into place right you are totally satisfied you're good you're golden but that's not that's I mean, not what for happens the, for the three men who were married here <laughs> they know and their wives who, who right who can really attest to it as well that no that's that's not the fulfillment and so i will i, I just want to say for for the heart of and i'm sure men can you know experience this too but especially women this is something that we battle with yeah. so much. Um, and we really need the Lord. We really need his grace and that relationship with him. So we can, like, even though the record's still playing on in the head and in your heart, but really just kind of in this relationship with God of just, God, I trust that I know you are my my only fulfillment. Please help me to just walk, you know, journey in this time of historical man to to just believe that live that out accept it surrender to it um so anyways that that was like when i heard that i was like naomi just so you know there are an awful lot of unhappily married people (laughs) (laughs) so i've heard you know an awful lot of i don't don't count myself among them but uh there are an awful lot of people that get married and it's unhappy right yeah. and and i think a lot of it has to do with what you're talking about that that uh, you know especially as a man I, and as i talk to men even well and as i talk to wives too husbands and wives that there is so much pressure mm-hmm. on the man to be whatever this picture is and he's not he do gonna it. do it he mm-hmm. can't do it even if he was perfect right i mean that's mm-hmm. part of this mm-hmm. picture is that mm-hmm. What makes the picture work is that the relationship with God is right. Yeah, that's what makes right. this part work. Right. And, and so when when you put all of that on a on a guy who's who's a mess already, because like we said before we started, there are no good people. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, I'll have to save that for another uh, right. another <laughs> podcast maybe. But uh, so there there are no good people. There are broken men. 
and and you put this on the husband and let's be honest it's the other way too it's not just yep. you know hey my wife isn't perfect she's feet. not yep. doing this for me or that for me or whatever and so i got to find it somewhere else um, yep. you know right. there's uh, there's all of that stuff um, so it's interesting that the biblical narrative like you you know try, it's interesting by 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 teasing this out by you know original man historical man eschatological man you you can by other parts of the scriptures kind of shed light on it. Like it's interesting to look at, you know, the effects of sin in the in the so-called curses. Like when when God finds mm-hmm. out that you know, oh, so you've eaten the apple, and well, oh, she gave it to me. Well, oh, serpent, right? <laughs> yeah. On yeah. your belly you shall eat dirt and all that. But what he's you know, it's even. I mean, this is an ancient text. It's like five thousand years old, and it says to the woman your desire will be for your husband, yes, right? And, and like, that's what we're talking about. Like you now will have yeah. this kind of temptation. Now mm-hmm. your relationship with men will be disordered in this kind of way, um, which is, right. it's mysterious language. It's not exactly clear yeah, well, what it means, but well, it's yeah. something like this. Like already God's letting you know that you're going, going to try to replace your relationship with me with your relationship with your husband. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's always going to be your temptation. And that's going to be a, a pain in the neck for you. The guy is going to toil now. Like he had work before. Like God, it wasn't work. Wasn't but it the wasn't curse. the sweat of his brow. It wasn't but now it's going to be a pain in the butt, right? Now it's going to, he's going to scratch on the earth and it's, and it's never going to satisfy him as much as he feels like it should. And so He's never going to be satisfied with enough power, wealth, strength, yeah. all that stuff, right? And so, you know, already the biblical narrative, because it can understand what happened when sin happened, it can mm-hmm. shed light onto what it was like before. And so, this concrete experience that you're talking about, which is everywhere, right? Everywhere. You know, and it expresses itself in different cultures, different ways, right? And it expresses itself in a particular way today. It's been part of human nature from the beginning. I mean, the scriptures right. yeah. are talking about it, yes. right? So you know. uh, we're kind of, we're, we're doing a lot of the the original and historical mm-hmm. stuff. Let's try and drill a little bit deeper because I think there's more here mm-hmm. on the original man. So yeah. as, as we're talking about this, maybe you've seen, I know I've used it uh, because I've seen lots of pastors use it, that when we when you're talking to a couple and, and kind of guiding them toward marriage, there's this triangle, right? And God's at the mm-hmm. top and the closer you get, both get to God, the closer you are to each, to each other. other, right? Yeah. I think that's actually true. That's right. And what we're talking about is that that's exactly right. That God is one. And, and I want to talk about this because I think some of the things that we've said, there are people that might listen and go, well, wait, you said we need God, but now you're saying we need each yeah. other. And, and, but it's, it's all part of the picture. We need God and God is what, you know, when we have the relationship right with God, that's what helps inform the relationship with each other in a way that makes it not destructive. Yeah. This is, this is, so this is like blow, this is like mind blowing thing, right? So what, what John Paul II says about this is that they're naked and without shame. And so he, he coins another little phrase where he says they had, the peace of the interior gaze, which is like, what the heck is that? Right. <laughs> Sounds really good. But yes. like, you know, Adam, when he saw Eve, he saw her, he saw her interior life. She, he saw her as a person. So there's a principle in the theology of the body in 
Catholic Christian thought in particular, I think it's part of Christianity in general, but is that the, the body, the physical body reveals the person. So I'm a person and that me being a person is revealed through my body. Jesus is the second person of the Trinity and his being God is revealed in his flesh, right? So the body reveals the person. And so when, when Eve saw, when Adam saw Eve, he saw that she was a person. He saw that she had an interior life. And part of that interior life is God dwelling in her heart, right? So the first and fundamental, first and fundamental element is this solitude before God that we all carry in our heart. Well, now God, now Adam can see God in her heart, right? She, God lives in her like Mm -hmm. a temple, right? God lives in her like a temple. And so by loving her, by caring for her, by, by Mm -hmm. he's actually loving God because Mm -hmm. God dwells within her. He now can love God in a physical way with his body, with the world. He has the world now makes sense. You know, now we know what flowers are for, right? (laughs) You know, now we know what gold was for. He had no interest in those things before he owned them. And okay, those are nice. But now they have a whole new meaning because they can be given as a gift. They can be exchanged and shared. They can be cared for and nourished with respect to one another. You know, they can work during the day and sit down and share a meal at night and share an intimate love of one another. And that intimacy between them is a physical manifestation of the intimacy of their life with God. Right. If that makes sense, you know, it's sort of like, it's sort of like, it's not, it's not wrong to think of like the Eve as sort of like the first holy place, the first church, the first place you could go to find God in the world, <laughs> if that makes sense, right? Because God dwells within her, and by living for her, he's actually serving. And that's a very important part of what we call the sacrament of marriage, that by the baptism, by our baptism, we have God dwelling in our hearts. And when husband and wife love each other, it's God who is loving and being loved. When my wife loves me, I can't help but say, thank God for you because some God is doing something for me, mm-hmm. right? You know, God yeah. is doing something for me, <clears throat> So and, you know, and vice versa. If I want to do something for God, if I want to honor God, right, then I, I, I have a way of doing that, right? By loving his people, first of all, my wife, but you know, the, all of the places where God dwells in the hearts of all of his people, right? It's a beautiful thing. I mean, it's kind of a... Well, since you're on the, the topic of uh, the piece of the interior gaze, which you had, both of y'all mm-hmm. had mentioned it, um, and this this is huge for us guys in recovery, you know, because we're trying to uh, recover that right. which was lost or to uh, sometimes recover something we've never even <laughs> had an idea about in the begin with. But, you know, with, with theology of the body, you know, Pope John Paul talks about that piece of the interior gaze where in the original man... You know, Adam looked at Eve, and he didn't just get hung up on the body. Yeah, and only he was able to, the body. He was able to. Her gaze, body was transparent, right? right? He was able yeah. to gaze into her eyes and to see into her being and th- to the interior life, and that she is created in the image of God, and that she has a soul and a body, and that she's a person, and and that somehow she reveals God. So he was able to see that, and that's one of the things you know that that um, 
you know, within uh, sexual integrity ministries, you know, we try to help guys to to uh, cultivate that interior gaze yeah. and, and to try to practice that. So when we see a beautiful woman, instead of just seeing her physical body and what it can do for us and um, objectify her, lust after her, we try to, you know, look into her eyes and see the interior, the eyes of the windows of the soul. So look up, <laughs> don't look at the body all the yeah, time. Yeah, look up. look up, look at her eyes and try to see that she is a precious child of God. She's a daughter of God. Yeah. She has a soul. She's a human person. You could see God in her. She's a living icon of God. She's a daughter. She's, she's a, a daughter. Son. She's a mother. She's and when you that. begin to look for that and train yourself to, to look, look for that, yeah. you know, you're never going to be perfect at that. I don't think anybody is much less an, an addict, but when you train yourself over and over again to see the, the, the inner beauty and to see the, the soul, to see the God's image in a person, to see that them as a daughter, as a, as an actual um, daughter of God, you know, that interior gaze gets cultivated. And um, that's one of the goals of sexual yep. integrity, but you had mentioned it and I, I didn't want to, that's exactly I forgot right. about that. If that's I'm, so important. And that's exactly right. And you all highlighted just how much the interior gaze means recognizing and seeing that individual as a person like that that right. word it's so critical and i think it kind of we can go flashback to genesis on when we can meditate where as adam is asked to name all the animals yeah it's a lot of animals <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we're right? still working on it right we're like <laughs> i mean think of like also insects and i mean there's, yeah, just, a, there's right. just a lot going on and can you imagine, I mean, this is where we can kind of, as we just go deeper into scripture and make it come al come alive is Adam, yeah, I mean, it's awesome. Like here's a hippo, here's a tiger, you know, here's a, an eagle. I mean, these are all magnificent, beautiful creatures that God has created. But what he keeps on seeing over and over is it's not a person. Yeah, he's mm -hmm. reminded right. of his solitude before God. Right. The more he looks at the world, the more he realizes he's alone. He's different, right? He's, and he's, he's different. So, he's different than so the rest of the is, world. This he's is something I've been. It's uh, so interesting. Yeah, I've been like kind of simmering on and trying to figure out when we when we get down this road here. But I heard somebody say one time that our need for community is or, or friendship or relationship, Connection. you know, marriage, all these things. Our need for other people and community is our first need, the first need that we have because we're perfect. So in other words, what you're talking about, this original man idea that in the beginning, God wasn't finished until he gave Eve to Adam. Yeah. And that if, if we are in the image of God, we are built for community right? Amen. because God is a triune God. That's exactly Amen. right. Mm -hmm. So like you can't have, you can't be a person. So there are right? people that like, will say, you know, <laughs> Hey, you know, church, I don't really need church. Mm -hmm. You know, it's messy. And, and I, I can worship God out in the field, on the bayou, wherever, right up on a mountain. Right. So I, I don't want to get involved in all that stuff, but, but actually what we're saying without having come out, totally 100% crystal clear in saying it. No, you can't worship God fully on a mountain by yourself. Yeah. Right. You must. Uh, that's part of who you are. You should be doing that all the time. Uh, and most people, when they go up to the mountain, aren't really worshiping God. I mean, or go out into a field. They're not worshiping God, right? So let's 
Let's be honest about yeah. that first, yeah. guys, yeah, yeah, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, but you need to do that kind of stuff, but you also don't fully know God until you fully know another person. Right, right. Uh, this, you know, so C.S. Uh, Lewis stuff, He's he's got a whole big thing about yeah. how uh, it's him and two other guys that are like really, really, really good friends. Uh, one of them is Ronald J.R.R. Tolkien. Tolkien. Yes. <laughs> and another Lord one. Lord of the Rings. <laughs> yeah, and I forget who the other guy was. Charles something. He's not quite as famous as uh, C.S. Lewis and, and J.R.R. Tolkien. Tolkien, right? But but I think Charles died. And I think this is in C.S. Lewis's book, The Four Loves. I hear Tim Keller talk about it all the time, and I just I loved it. In the book, he talks about how when Charles dies, he thinks that he's actually going to get more of Ronald now because Charles is gone. So now he doesn't have to share Ronald right. with Charles. But the reality is, is he actually knows less of Ronald because there was a part of Ronald uh, that Charles brought out. Mm, like he could right. get him to laugh about certain <laughs> things that uh, Lewis can't, Jack. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's and, right. And so there's a there's this idea mm-hmm. that other people actually help us understand ourselves right and god yeah right so like (laughs) exactly right so i'm a lutheran and i'm hanging out with three catholics and you talked about the sacrament of marriage and it took everything within me to say well i'm lutheran so we don't believe in the sacrament (laughs) of marriage. (laughs) (laughs) that's okay we do but 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 why why is that 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 was because you know i'm just trying to make sure all the lutherans out there yeah yeah yeah, don't don't attack me right right Right, but i i do think that we could we could probably say it is in a way, even within our own theology. But the fact that we're talking and the fact that I listen yeah. to like the Tim Keller with Presbyterian, right? Right. So yep. I hear somebody else talk about God and I hear other people that are Methodist or Pentecostal yep. Yep. or, you know, I hear them talk about God and we're in conversation mm-hmm. and, and there are things that I definitely am never going to agree with them on. Right. <laughs> right. But, but there's a piece of God that I'm, getting to grasp that's right because i'm having that conversation right that's right each person each person contribute is is made to contribute i mean when you when you think of the theology of saint paul right you know and you have like um you know there's one body but there's many parts and who can say to the eye what hand can say to the eye i don't need you right you know you can't do that Right. right you know each part contributes to the whole, and and what that means is, and this is a very important theme for the theology of the body, is that the our personhood, our identity in God, even our solitude before God, our our being one, like no matter how close Adam and Eve come to each other, no matter how healthy your marriage is, right. no matter how intimate a life you share together with your wife, you don't become your wife. You don't right. like meld into like. Mm. You still remain two different people, and that mm-hmm. always is the case. Mm-hmm. Frustratingly, right? <laughs> you know, but that's always but the, the case. But the two become one flesh. They become one flesh, but those, but they don't stop being two. <laughs> right. So, I, yeah. <laughs> so I, I only bring that up because yeah. I, I know some, you know, old school pastors that uh, I have bumped into over, well, mostly early in my career and in my training and all that kind of stuff that. They have this unity candle ceremony. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it's as popular today as it once was, but the idea is, you know, you have two candles and you, at some point in the ceremony, like you come up and you light this one candle and then, you know, the hardcore old school guys say, well, you got to blow out the other candles now. Yeah. 
And then you have the more mm-hmm. progressive, uh, <laughs> feminist type mm-hmm. folks that would say, no, you have to leave them lit because they're still people. Yeah. And here we are kind of saying, well, they were right, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's yeah. sort of both. I mean, it's sort of, it, you know, when you start talking about <clears throat> the unity of people in, in marriage or the community of the saints in the body of the church, right? In our culture, in our time, in our th- it makes your head spin just as much as whenever you start talking about Trinitarian theology and you say, you know, God is three, but he's one, but he's three, but he's one. And it's like, does not compute. And then, and yeah. then, and then the people, and then the dominant culture says, look how irrational Christianity is because they can't get their head straight about, is it one God or three gods? Right. right. You well, know, they're not exactly rational. Well, uh, right, <laughs> so right. Right. They shouldn't be cast in stone. They, uh, right, right. But the point is that because our culture, you, you know, the, the liberal with the big L like freedom, like American, whether you're left classical or right, liberalism, classical liberalism yeah, yeah. right, you know, um, is focused on, is it crafts the truth of the individuality of the person. So like this solitude or this oneness that we each have that is irreducible, like you, I can't ever divest myself of myself. Like I still remain me for no matter what, right? And that I'm an individual and an individual that has rights and those kinds of things. There's something true about that. Mm-hmm. Right, there is something true that I don't become you, and you don't become me, and but it's and, not supposed to go to the extreme of it's at not, the expense of community. But that's and, not the whole story. Yeah. Right. right, that's not yeah. the whole story. Like I have a capacity to cooperate with another, and in fact, like when you think about think about men and women in their sexuality, think about just the basic, you know. That's where I wanted to take it back. Just to you know, birds back. and bees, right? <laughs> you know. There's something that a woman in her body has a power. Let's talk about it that way. I think it's a good way to talk about it. A power to um, to nurture and care for life with her own body. She has a womb. You know, she lactates, right? It's a but, superpower, all that. But that power. <laughs> I mean, it's, that it's power, no joke. Right. I mean, it's incredible. It's something I don't, it's not in me to do those things. But that power needs the cooperation of another for it to be to, for it to be engaged. Mm-hmm. You can't just become pregnant all by yourself. Like you just can't snap your fingers and decide, right? And the same is true for men. Men have this power to generate, in, or to engender life, to pass life on to somebody else. Um, but that that power is, is needs the cooperation of the other for it, for, for it to do what it's supposed to do. And so you have right from the beginning this capacity to intimate communion or intimate cooperation with one another. And until that happens, there are certain elements of myself that never come to fruition. They never become engaged. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. Mm. You know, the other person and then, and I mean, that happens in the sexual relationship, but that also happens in every interpersonal relationship, just like the three friends, just like us now. Like if I weren't in this room, with you people, I mean, I may have had these ideas, but I wouldn't be saying what I'm saying in the way that I say it, except that you guys are here listening and there's a context which opens up the possibility for a fruitful dialogue that couldn't have happened mm-hmm. any other way except for being here. Like even the people listening that I don't even know who they are, they're making possible this conversation. I mean, in yeah. a community, you know, it's amazing, right? right. right? right. And we, our culture disregards or undervalues 
the communal aspect of what it means to be human. Yeah. And I was thinking if our, you know, as a husband and wife or male and female, if our uh, relationship and our, um, the, you know, the two becoming one flesh, if that is supposed to be a symbol or, or a sacrament or a sign of our relationship with God as well, Christ could, and the church. Right? Well, then yeah. think about it like that. Well, you know, when we have a relationship with God, we're called to be one with God, but we still remain a separate individual entity. We're a separate person. Mm-hmm. We're not, we don't get like the Greeks or whatever, absorbed into God and become yeah. one with God. Or in Eastern, that sense. Or Eastern uh, yeah, other Buddhism. Eastern, yeah, other Eastern right. philosophies. Yeah. You know, but we, even though we are brought back to the source and we have that union with our God when we restore and we, um, you know, through our redemption, we still remain a separate individual yeah. person. Yeah. Well, so the husband and the wife, you know, the two become one flesh, but yet remain it's both. separate it's and we're both. interdependent. Not, yeah, exactly. That's right. So, so right. but, and that actually is also <clears throat> God in who God is is that too, right? Because right. that's right. what the, the Trinity, Trinity is. That's exactly so it's right. the Father, the Son, and the Holy yeah. Spirit who are one, but three and distinct. somehow they're distinct <laughs> and, and they have unique roles and yeah. responsibilities within the Godhead, right? Yeah. It's so Augustine, 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 however you want to say his <laughs> name, he's the classic theologian, Trinitarian theologian, right? De Trinitate. And he, in, and he talks about this relationship, how do we understand what it means to be a person, in the God. And, you know, you have the father who gives life to, to another and you have the son who is the recipient of this gift. And then you have the relation between them. So you have a love in God, you have a lover, a beloved and a love, right? And so God, Deus, Deus Caritas as God is love. And you, and if you take any one of those away, if you don't have a lover, then you, there's no beloved and there's no love. And so you take any one of the persons of the Trinity away, you lose the whole Trinity. Right. And between and man is created in that image. And so Adam makes no sense to himself until Eve. Right. Right? He he has this capacity to love, but there's not anyone to love yet. And so he doesn't understand himself. It's not good for him to be alone. I don't understand myself. It's not until Eve is there and he enters into communion with her that there's a capacity to be a lover because now there's a beloved, a one to love. And now there's a love that they can share. And so now they can be the image of God. It's interesting. Yeah. It parallels the first chapter. God created man in his image, male and female. He created them. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. right. You know, right, so yeah. it, like those right. two things, th- those things are being said in the same breath, yeah. right? S- scripturally. And so Adam not only discovers who Eve is, but he also all of a sudden discovers himself. Oh, I'm called to participate. I'm called to be like God. I'm, I'm called right. to love. To love. And receive love. Yeah, yeah. To be, right. I'm made for communion. Yeah, I'm even, made for even communion. Even in his own body, uh, like you were saying, because you have all, uh, I think Christopher West talks about this in one of his books, um, you know, all the different uh, systems within the, the male body are complete except for the reproductive Yeah, system. nobody you has a reproductive <laughs> Yes, yeah. right. another... Yeah type of person you need yeah. a feminine person and their feminine body parts to be able to complete that process right. so we were literally even in our bodies it stands so like we're made for each other for that gift of self and it's amazing because these are all just deep deep thoughts that we're sharing and it's something that we take so for granted like our body <laughs> yeah. and that there is a male and a female but just because i mean this is just something that we see it's 
and we don't really, I think, take the time to to go deeper and and think of the origin and what what does the body mean? What does the different the sexual the difference in the the organs mean? Like we don't think about that, and, <laughs> yeah, and right. that's the whole thing that I guess in in theology of the body. It, it it shows that with God, there's no detail that is overlooked or it's just random, just kind of there. Like, no, no, God did this on purpose. Like, yeah. God created male and female to really complete mankind and, and establish humanity. It's, it's the communion of the two. And then for us simple folk, right, we're, we're much simpler when we— when you compare us to God, right? <laughs> that he made it obvious that your bodies don't exactly look exactly the same. There, right. there's some right. things like, okay, you got two arms, they, they you got two eyes. Yeah. You know, there's some parts of you that will, between a male and a female, will will look similar. But then there the sexual organs or other parts that are different. So our God is so good that he wanted to tell us this story. This story of you are created out of for love, you are created for communion, and we can see this because even if you never read the Bible or if you don't study theology, it doesn't matter. Just look at your body. Yeah, your and body tells God's story. Well, exactly. <laughs> you know, and the other thing, and you're—I know that you're very sensitive to this, and I thought this is what you were going to go to, and I think you're kind of skirting around something that I'm thinking about is our culture separates the person from the body. Right. Like mm -hmm. the body is yes. a tool or the body is something separate than me and my identity than my something mind. Something to shed for, to get rid <laughs> yeah. of at like, some point that's for right. the if real I, you. Know, I die, yeah, the real me. But right. what, what the, that's never been a, a Christian idea. That's never been a right. Jewish or it's ancient idea. It's a very idea. popular Christian talking point, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Modern. Gnosticism, and we can go yeah. into all of that. But, you know, certainly in the Jewish mentality that of is that, you know, not it's the, you have different body parts than I do, but that also means you have a different heart than I do. And it means that you have a different mind. Now, you and I have a similar enough mind that we can communicate and we can share ideas that she's smart, I'm smart, we can talk about these things. But there is a way of talking or a way of approaching life. There's a, there's a difference that, you know, what's mm -hmm. revealed in our body also reveals differences in our minds and in our hearts. You know, you know, you have this body that's capable of nurturing the life of another as a mother, and that's a biological reality. That's right. also a spiritual reality. That's also an emotional reality. There's a way that mothers can mother in a way that fathers can't even after the children were born, right? <laughs> even when they're not dependent physically on the physical mm -hmm. body of the mom, right? You know, my 17-year-old daughter who doesn't need my wife's body anymore needs, get something from my wife that she can't get from me right. and and get something from me that she can't get because, because she's her mother and I'm her father. And so the bodiliness reveals the reveal something about the depths, mm. right, of who I am. And so it's important. We, it's, we need to emphasize that because our culture so much so automatically separates the body from the person. Right. Um, and, right. And what the biblical narrative is talking about with the theology of the body is really trying to hammer at is that, no, there's not a, there's not a, a separation, um, but there, there 
intimately related. When at when Adam saw Eve's body, he saw her. Mm-hmm. When mm-hmm. a nurse is in a hospital and she touches a patient, she's touching a person and not just an organ or an arm right. or a part. Yeah. Right? Yeah. She's touching right. a person. When a man and a woman embrace, they're not just touching something that's merely physical, right? They're right. touching each other. Right. And that's that's a that's so important in so many yeah. ways. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it, it's a, definitely it spills out in well, all we're kinds not, of ways. We're not human without both, right? So God forms from the dust and then breathes in the breath of life. That's right. right. And w- when you take those two apart, you have a dead. Yeah, person. it's not a body. A dead body isn't a body. A dead body is a corpse. A body is a living body. Yeah. Right. That's, you know, a soul that's not in flashed is a ghost. It's not. <laughs> right. It's it's it doesn't have like real presence in the world. But your mm. soul, because it's in flashed, is present in this room and yeah. effective in this room. And and, you know, and not like some kind of oh, we're in a seance or something. Right. You know, yeah. it's not a, you're not a ghost. Yeah. Right. You're an enfleshed spirit. Right. And um, wow. and and that makes all the difference. If all of a sudden you were not an flesh spirit, it would like freak us all out. Right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> right. This podcast would be over. That, <laughs> <laughs> right. it yeah. into a all of a sudden, that's a horror. That's film. what happened with Jesus, though. Right. I mean, they, they see him walking on the water and they go, oh, my God, right. it's a ghost. It's a ghost. A ghost. Oh, yeah. well, then when he's resurrected, what does he what does he, he do? Say, look at my hands and my feet. Feet is a big yeah. Big deal because that Touch was a way I'm of saying if I have feet, I'm not a ghost. Yeah, <laughs> that, that was actually, so. When you read that in the Bible, when when they go down, they grab his feet, they touch his feet. That's like he's real. They're like making sure he's, he's really, really real alive. Person. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jesus is really alive, and they know that because he's enfleshed, because yeah. he has a mm-hmm. body, My friend, and they can relate to him in a bodily way. They can embrace him. They can touch him. Right, yeah. it's beautiful, and that's how they know that he's really resurrected in the flesh. And, and we're all called to that resurrection, right? I mean, when right. we, the, our death, I mean, this points us to eschatological man, right? In our death, when our bodies and our souls are separated, that's an unnatural state for us, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That is, there's something wrong with that. Right. And, and what we all believe as Christians is that we believe in the resurrection when that final division is healed mm-hmm. and our bodies are raised up and I will see God with these eyes in some mysterious way. Some way, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. yeah. My my friend, Father uh, Ryan Hallford, he's the one that introduced me to Theology of the Body originally. Mm-hmm. Um, but he used to tell me when we had these debates and we talked about Theology of the Body and he started introducing the book to me. Uh, this is before he was a priest. But one of the things he would say is, you know, like angels are pure spirits, right? You know, they, they're bodiless powers. You know, they're just these pure spiritual beings that, that can, you know, they're not bound by yep. space and time like the way we are. They, have bod- they don't have bodies. But an animal... It's just a body, you know, it's just yeah. the dust, you know, it doesn't have the breath of life like Adam received. So it's, it's different and, you know, it has a different, um, existence. So you have angels that are these pure spirits and animals are just these, this matter, but the unique creation is the man because it's both the spiritual and the physical and one and that harmony. So he's, you know, he said, we're animals, you know, <laughs> <We're> like these, <laughs> these half breeds, so to speak, but, nice. but it's, interesting because you know like the original man is that you that perfect harmony of both of yeah, the soul and, and soul. the body fully alive and fully you know connected with god connected yep. to himself to other people but here um 
you know, in our society, you know, they, in our culture is very secular and, you know, the secular worldview. So they want to remove the whole idea of us being anything of soul or spiritual. And then we're just a body, you know, we're just an animal. So sex and love and marriage takes on this more of this animalistic type. And you see that within the brokenness of sexuality. It's more of an animalistic, impulsive, instinctual, just lustful thing. And go and even the songs are about it. You know, all the songs about well, sex re- are like, like reverse an is and true stuff. too. Yeah, right? it can so go either way, one right. way or another. I'm really who's inside here. And it's so, not what exactly. my body says. And whatever right. I do with my body is irrelevant because uh-huh. it's not me. That's why, I mean, that's, a, that's kind of turns that thing on the head. I can sleep with whoever I want. I can express my sexuality. There's no moral question right. here one way or another because what I do with my body isn't really relevant. But on a practical level, you know, for a believer yeah. who is trying to be, uh, have a holy marriage, a good, righteous, you know, marriage, and they want to be all that God wants them to be according to the scriptures and what Jesus says in Genesis and all this stuff with theology of the body, it's with our sexuality, you know, we can't be like the world where it strips apart and it's just the, the body, just the physical, just... That's right. And we have to bring that soul dimension to sexuality, which is the beautiful thing about theology of the body, encouraging you to try to be connect emotionally and connect spiritually to your yep. wife as well and be there for that person, see the image of God and then make it a holy thing. And I think that's why the naked, you were talking about women, uh, people looking at women and, it, you know, or we were talking about naked and shame and mm-hmm. a lot of women, I think, would cover themselves if they were naked, not so much because they, well, maybe partially because of shame and just feeling that they might not be enough or whatever subconsciously. But a big part of it is we feel that people are looking at us to use us, you yeah. know, and to objectify us. Then even a stare to a woman can make them feel uncomfortable and, and they kind of like, you know, fix their shirt or something. You know, it's like they feel uncomfortable because you're trying to use them. And it's like with, you know, the, with healthy uh, sexuality, it's the naked and without shame is because the person actually feels that the person, the other, the spouse is looking at them in love and not for use. And the reason why the women, you know, cover their bodies. And I think Jason Everett talked about this one time is not because the body is bad, but the body is so good that we cover it just like uh, in the temple, you know, there was a veil over the holiest place because that's where the Ark of the Covenant was. That's where the most sacred thing was. So it had to be veiled and um, because it was so good, not because it was, you know, yeah. bad, but. Yeah, I mean, what happens is, I mean, there's two things that I want to say about that. I mean, one is about modesty, you know, a modesty of dress is not just about just covering up the shameful, right. dirty sexual body. That's not right. really what right. it's about. Well, it's, that's what it has become. It's, sometimes, <laughs> what it, it's kind of become you know, that. There are a lot of people that would say that just like with, with what you're talking about. You know, we're talking about this Christian idea that it's both body and soul. And well, I actually think Christians have screwed that whole thing. Absolutely, <laughs> it's no the doubt. Christians that have pushed that message, and then the culture took it, and now they're doing all this stuff with it. But I, that's right. I I agree. I agree completely with that. Right. I mean, that's the reason why I think John Paul II and other thinkers who are thinking and teaching along with him have said, like, we need to talk about this in detail because yeah. exactly what you're saying. Mm-hmm. With a fresh new Why approach. we need to write <laughs> yeah. these books, right? right? And we need to think about them. Um, but, you know, the the reality is, and I think this is something, I used to work in a high school, teach in a high school, and, you know, and of, of course, like, modesty of dress is always a topic, <laughs> right? Yeah. And, and, you know, and one of the things that, that this teaching kind of un- 
opens up and makes possible is because, you know, especially among the young ladies, they, you know, they want to dress in an attractive way. They want to dress in a beautiful way. You're saying I need to wear a big burlap sack. They want to feel good about themselves. Right. <laughs> and, and it's saying, but what's this veiling, you know, the thing is, is that if it would be, I, I'm in front of a classroom, right? And I'm like, if I were standing here naked, it would be really distracting. Right. <laughs> right? They're like, oh, right. Like, yeah, don't think about it. Right. Too late. You know. Um, but the point is that, you know, when my when I dress in a way that veils the sexual value of my body or you veil the sexual value of your body, what you're actually doing is making it easier for me to see you as a person. So your clothing becomes kind of an extension of your body. And it becomes an expression of yourself. And so you dress as fat, you know, not that you need to be a, you know, a, a dress horse or something, you know, <laughs> like, but, you know, you dress in such a way that accentuates your own beauty. And so it's not about just being drab. Right, right. It's right. about, cover, you know, you cover yourself in a way that makes yourself more available as a person, you know. And then actually what's interesting and they're able to understand is that the kind of converse happens, like when young women are dressing in kind of a scantily clad kind of way there's a way in which they're putting the sexual value of their bodies out front so and sort of hiding themselves right remember how we know? talked about people saying christians were irrational right? yeah. i mean they're in this pursuit of freedom yeah. of some kind right and and you know i'm not going to be uh, uh i don't know i'm not going to be forced into some kind of mold right i'm not going to mm -hmm. be uh, locked up as this woman that's only used by her husband and, and yeah. all, right. So I'm free. I can dress however I want. I want to, uh, whatever I want to do to express myself, I'm going to do that. Meanwhile, what you're actually doing is making men objectify you. <laughs> What's <laughs> like, making, it makes You're it, actually saying, right, right. Hey, you know what? All that stuff about, uh, don't objectify women and, and don't think we're more than just a, you know, a body to have sex with and p pump out kids yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Well, you're doing that. Right. <laughs> like well, you're literally you can, making that. I mean, thing. you could soften it a little bit. You're not necessarily making them doing that, but you're certainly encouraging. And, well, them. yeah, yeah. I but, mean, and, but then, it's then not the, their fault. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, men yeah, are. Right. Men are. Remember, there are no good people, right? There's, yeah. so there's no good men. That's right. What do you think is going to happen, right? I mean, you understand. You have to. We have to understand each other, right? I mean, that's part of what this is all about, anyway. But it's also. I mean, I think it's. It's just manifestly obvious that it's harder to make quality friendships with people in the culture that we're in like the more of this like we have never been more like the opposite of repressed whatever that word is <laughs> right the more free to be able to dress i mean look you can dress however you want in the world that we live in you can do whatever you want that's sometimes i tell the kids like you can you you know that i can't make you dress in any kind of way you dress you do whatever you want but but look what happens it's so hard for us to form healthy, intimate, good, lasting friendships with each other. What happens is everyone here suffers with terrible loneliness, Yeah, terrible loneliness. And, and you go through these relationships one after another and you're left used and abused and just miserable. It's like, and that's epidemic in the culture we live in because we, we've lost the ability to be able to, yeah. you know, enter into respectful relationships with each other. And so you can just look at it. You can look at the world and say, okay, what kind of life do you want to live? You know, if you want genuine friendships, then you have to enter into those relationships in a, in a way that makes yourself known and, makes, and, and also cultivate 
the ability to see the other person as another. You got it goes both ways, right? You have to cultivate that interior gaze of the other person that you were talking about, and mm-hmm. you have to mm-hmm. act in such a way that that lets who you really are be seen, and and not be distracted by, you know, other people's you know sinful proclivities, right? Yeah. So I, I yeah. guess as a, on the modesty issue, I just feel. I should say something. On, on <laughs> you absolutely to, should. Because kind of we just made all these bold uh, statements <laughs> that, like, we know what we're talking about. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I mean, it, the the great thing is, we, I mean, no, this is this is a place where we we get to really share each other's thoughts, and and they're they're value valuable. Um, I think the modesty issue, because that's something obviously I I have personally have also been growing with um, in the understanding of it over time. Like I didn't always necessarily dress in a more modest fashion. Um, didn't feel the the need to, but as I felt more led and the desire to, to do that, I think initially it was inspired by this, I don't want to be used. I don't want to be just looked at mm-hmm. as an object versus known me as a yeah. actual person you know Naomi who has an origin has a history mm-hmm. uh, you know has a heartbeat you know something <laughs> like that so yep. um it was a way I guess in in a way to to kind of uh, in one way to protect myself but then another way it was an act of charity for my brothers out there meaning thank you in, in knowing <laughs> on behalf of all the brothers <laughs> that you know the potential is there and i think that's where the, the call to responsibility responsibility for men it's yeah. actually there like the potential is there that m- our brotherhood can you know as jesus if you allow jesus to transform your heart a lustful heart and when we're speaking of lust I want the clarification to be it's it's not just like oh sex is bad and and that's exactly what we're talking about lust really in in the sexual sense we're talking about it's just use mm-hmm. you really are just this yeah. is no longer a human being this is just an object like this is a thing you know and, and that's what's bad it's not sex is bad it's just the the fact yeah, the use, the of, use of it person. is, yeah. is bad. use of it and outside of all of the right intended so th- this heart that wants to use this beautiful female, this woman, you know, for for my own pleasure, my own objectives, um, God can can change that because we yeah. we if we glimmer back to original man, he did not look at Eve as Chris and and Gary had kind of made sure we understood that he didn't just look at Eve's body and just was stuck there and and couldn't get past that, couldn't see her as who she really is. No, right. he, he was able to. So we know the potential is there and yep. and God is able to do anything. So I think there's that, that call, that invitation that as we have men who are finding the Lord, who want to give their life to Christ, who, who are saying, yes, I want to be transformed. I want to recapture my masculinity of yep. what it means to be a real man as God intended. Then so that responsibility, that call that is there in the state, in, in the world that we live in right now, um, there are men who are, you know, striving for that. We have to have faith that there are. 
But yes, the temptation is great and, and we don't really have, um, you know, we allow it to happen. We allow men to just kind of give in to their temptation mm-hmm. or what they want to do to objectify. So I think mod- modesty is a way of, can be an act of charity. Yeah. That it's a help. He as a sister. Can You're help. making I, it easier for us to. I can understand that. Yeah. You may try to look at me as a person, but if I wear this and or wear that, or if this is revealed a little bit more, that maybe you're just not in a place that you can really, um, I don't want to say master that, but you might yep. just give in to that weakness again. So, you know, God, God yeah. in the, in the script, that's what's beautiful about that is that, you know, the, you know, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helpmate, someone mm-hmm. who's going to help him. Right, so the the Eve, Eve Eve is for Adam a help, and an and Adam for Eve is a help, and you know there's there's an interesting I forget who it was, but it's one of the old desert fathers way back in the day, and he he, he kind of talks about why did God create another why didn't God create another man because another man would be more <laughs> helpful, right? You, you know because <laughs> because if if That's what so it, sexist well yeah. I mean I think it was Chrysostom and he was like it was like a right. setup in one of his sermons right, right? you know because you have to have a little setup right and then you get the hook right? you know about that right so um, you know if what man was called to do was build things and make things and make buildings and whatever it would be helpful to have another person to hold the other end of the board right to lift yeah. things and to carry things but that's not what man was called to do right well, at least that's not the only the thing only thing. yeah well that's yeah. not the that's that he didn't need that kind of help, right? But the kind, what man was called for, called to, what he, his end or the purpose of his life is to be like God, who is love. And so he needs another, not only to love, but to help him to love, to help him to become a better lover and be more himself and vice versa. And so the difference between man and woman the different weaknesses that we have, the struggles that we go through, you know, there's a way in which a man can be a help to a woman in the ways that she experiences weaknesses and women can be a help to man so that together we can walk together in this common vocation. That's the word we use a lot in Catholic church, like a a calling, this common vocation to holiness, the common vocation to love, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. we help each other, learn how to love and the differences among us is what makes that that fruitful help possible so god knew exactly (laughs) what he was doing and he created a woman who allowed for the possibility that he's going to get those other men to help with hold the board yeah that's right right. she she has the power to to create that's right right. that's right that's right so uh i'd i'd say i hate to cut it short but this is not at all short Uh, but we should probably uh, well, wrap our, it up. Our listeners have been, and you have been very generous <laughs> to, to, to well, endure that's a, all of That's this, assuming so. they made it this far. <laughs> right, that's right. Hopefully, so. hopefully they did. Yeah. But uh, this is a great conversation and looking forward to keeping it going, not the next Thursday, the 22nd, but the 29th, right? So, I think yeah, we'll be, I think that's right. We'll be at it again. And we'll do um, historical, man. We can talk about sin historical man oh, in the yeah. fall. we know about that we can tune be very lutheran <laughs> tune, in that regard tune, <laughs> tune into the fun stuff coming out next time yeah right. just what everybody wants to hear about sin is like uh 
the four letter <laughs> word of the 21st century. I mean, you're not allowed to talk about that, but, but, uh, let's wrap it up. We'll go and we'll uh, catch up again next time with historical man. All right. Thank All right. you. You're Thanks welcome. Thank you. God bless you guys. Uh, don't forget to like, share, subscribe, comment, all that kind of stuff, and uh, spread the word. God bless you. We'll catch up with you soon. See ya.